Thanks for downloading the audio podcast of this week's sermon. We pray you'll be blessed and encouraged with the words you hear. Most of the sermon is going to come from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 to 25. But let me tell you about my title. My title tonight is this, The True Story. The True Story. Tonight we're going to look at three things. First of all, he sees you. Second of all, you're free. And third of all, you're welcomed. So you're seen, you're free, and you're welcomed. So let's read 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 21 to 25. says this, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him, who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep gone astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and to the overseer of your souls. Stories, stories. I don't know, when I say story, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? I love a good story. And when I think of good stories, I think of my granda. My granda, unfortunately, is no longer with us. He's with God in heaven. But my granda was sick a lot of his life when I knew him. But I remember about the last three years of his life, he moved in to live with me and my family. And our house then got converted a wee bit. And so our front room then became like, a wee granny flat, you know, for my granddad and my granny. And I remember every time I came home from like football or from church and I walked into the house and I looked left and I seen like the light of that room on. I was like, brilliant. I'm going to go in and see granddad. And I used to come and I used to just sit and I used to say, granddad, tell me more about your life. And my granddad was the type of person to tell you a story and he never uttered a word because you were just captivated by what he said. You felt like the words that he said would have just took you and placed you there and you were just like watching it like a movie. I love stories because they can bring hope. But if you have kids in here, you've been a kid, you've been to school, you work with kids, you will know that one sort of event can have multiple different stories. I remember me and my sister when we used to fight because that's what siblings do, right? You used to, whatever happened, it was just the quickest person to get them a mum, right? That's what the story was. So I would around say, mum, she just hit me. Then all of a sudden it was, no, mum, he done this first. And so this one woman had loads of different stories. And you just get to the point with leading youth ministry, right? And there's three different stories and you're like, no, just guys leave it, right? Because stories can also bring frustration. It depends how the story's told. It depends if it's true And it depends if it brings hope. But the story that I want to kind of share tonight is the true story. It's not just sounding good. It's not just in a book. But it is a true story. That you are seen. 
You are free and you are welcomed. My first point tonight is this. He sees you. Let's again read uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 from 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you are healed. You have been healed. For you were like sheep gone astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. It's all about us in this passage of what God has done for us. The context for this sort of piece of writing is Peter's trying to give some instruction for these followers of Jesus to live a godly life in like a pagan society, a really secular world. And that doesn't sound too far from where we are right now. Maybe a wee bit different sort of structures with slaves and masters, how do we obey? But for us, how are we ought to live in this world today? How are we supposed to trust God and live for him in a world that is pushing us away? The reality is creeping so much closer. But this piece of scripture highlights the truth that he sees you. He doesn't just see the wealthy or the well-educated or the well-put-together, but he sees you tonight. And the reality is, if he sees you, he sees your mistakes He sees your shortfalls. He sees what nobody else sees. But still, when we read this, he decided that you were worth it. See, the cross isn't just a symbol of our Christian faith. It isn't just this cool thing that young people stick in their bios on Instagram or we put like a sticker on our back of our windows in our cars. That's not what the cross is. But the cross is a moment in history that Christ decided, I'm going to die for the sins of that have been, that will happen, and that are going to happen. Verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. It's so important that we get that, that he didn't die for his sins. He didn't die for your friend's sins. He died for our sins. Jesus was the perfect spotless, sinless lamb of God. No fault of his own, yet he's seen you in the midst of your despair, in the reality that you were destined for death. He seen you. He seen you. One of my favorite expressions about the cross is this. The cross isn't just a moment in history. But the cross is the moment that changed our destiny. He sees you tonight. For you who loved him before, he sees you. For you that has never loved him, he sees you. For you who desires to love him a wee bit more, he sees you. If you were here, I think it was last Sunday morning, maybe it was two, maybe it was last, I don't know. 
Uh, Jimmy came around the table and he shared around Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. So I'm not going to share about it tonight. But when you read that sort of passage in 1 Peter, you kind of see the, the translations between them both. But this is what it's saying, this idea of the posture of the lamb, Jesus himself, was obedience to the Father on the sake of you and me. He's seen you in your sin and he realised that the only antidote was himself. Caris is going to come and sing a song. It's a wee bit different, right? You're like, is he finished already? No, I'm going to come back up in a second. But I don't feel like my words tonight will adequately, what's that word? Accurately, sorry, describe what this means. But there's a song called Pride of a Father. There's not going to be any words. Caris is just going to sing it. But I would love us tonight to really just close our eyes and focus on the words. The chorus says this, you see me, you see my heart in the eyes of your mercy, in the light of your son. And the words of this are beautiful and I don't feel like I can express it enough tonight, but I really feel like God wants us to take five minutes, nobody else talking, and just focus on the words of this song. I can run a thousand miles to win the race of life, but what's the value without you? I could write a thousand songs to captivate your heart, but more than offerings, Lord, you seek the depths of me when you see.
Father God, I pray as we continue in your word for that truth. Father, for the people in this room that need to know that tonight afresh, I pray that this would be a moment when they again realize that you see them. You see them, God, not for what they have done, but in light of your son, thank you, Jesus, that you took on my sin and my shame and you went to the cross for me. And now you see me through the light of your son, God. And so I pray that afresh in this place, that love would be experienced maybe for the first time in a while, that people sitting in front of me, God, would again remember that they are loved, that they are valued, that someone loved them enough to send their one and only son to a cross to die the death they deserve to die. So Father God, thank you that you see us tonight. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you, Cars. Yeah, guys, I really feel like when I was preparing that is for some people in this room tonight, that reminder that he sees you. He sees you. My, my second point tonight is this. Are we exercising freedom? Are we exercising freedom? The cross, when Jesus went and he bled and he died for our sins, that is freedom. If you love him and you chose to follow him, then you don't have to walk in the condemnation of your old self. Rather, you walk in freedom. Let's go back to 1 Peter chapter, 20, chapter 2, sorry, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Jesus' death just wasn't a ticket to heaven, but he died so that we may die to the thing that has held us for so long, so that we can walk in righteousness. You were never meant to carry guilt and shame in this life. You were meant to walk in freedom. Let's read Romans, if you have your Bible, 14 verses in this. But Romans 6, verses 1 to 14. says this what shall we say then shall we go on sinning so that the grace may increase by no means we are those who have died to sin how can we live in it any longer or don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into death we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through, through the glory of the Father, we may too live a new life. We're called to a new life. We'll continue. For if we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in the resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over them, him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. 
But the life he lives, he lives to God. Nearly there. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been bought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you, have, you are not under the law, but under grace. Our lives are no longer a service to sin. There is another person leading our lives. You are dead to sin. You don't have to offer it anything. But yet, I think this is one of the biggest issues of the church today. I believe we neglect the truth that freedom is right in front of us. The weight of shame, the weight of guilt, the weight of approval costs us from exercising the freedom that Christ bought for us. I think we've lost the power of repentance and the truth of it because authentic repentance leads to forgiveness, which means we walk in freedom. So many Christians nowadays, because of our lives, are walking with this weight on their shoulders, not walking out the authenticity of the freedom that Christ paid for. Yet, that is what we ought to do. Let me tell you a story that might help illustrate this. It's a true story. In the 14th century, a couple of years before my birth, two brothers fought for the right to rule over the Dukendom in Belgium, interesting enough. The elder's brother's name was Renald, but was commonly known as Crassius. Remember Crassius, because that is a Latin nickname meaning fat, right? For he was horribly overweight. After a heated battle, Renald's younger brother, Edward, led a successful revolt against him and assumed the title of Duke over the lands. But instead of killing Renald, Edward devised a curious imprisonment. He had a room in the castle built around Crassius, a room with only one door. The door was not locked, the windows were not barred, and Edward promised Renald that he could regain his land and his title any time he wanted to. All he would have to do is leave the room. The obstacle to freedom was not in the doors and it wasn't in the windows. But Renald himself, being grossly overweight, he could not fit through the door, even though it was just the normal size. I like the way they added that detail in. All Renald needed to do was diet down to a smaller size. Then he could walk out a free man with all he had done before his fall. However, his younger brother kept sending him an assortment of tasty foods and Renald's desire to be free never won out his desire to eat. Renald's desire to be free never won out his desire to eat. Some would accuse the Duke of being cruel to his older brother, but he would simply reply, my brother is not a prisoner. He may leave when he so wills. 
But Renald stayed in that room for 10 years until his brother died. This accurately illustrates the experience of many Christians. Jesus set them free from legality, that they may walk in freedom from sin whenever they choose. But they keep yielding their bodies, appetites to the service of sin, and they live a life of defeat, discouragement, and imprisonment. See, the reality is, if we follow Jesus, the door is open to freedom all the time. All we have to do is stop feeding the sin that once ruled our lives. So many of us as Christians have these things that the enemy just plants in front of us, and we yield to it. Jesus didn't die for a ticket to heaven, but he died so that we would live in righteousness. And I believe the enemy's trick to stop you and I walking into it is serving us luxury foods. I believe there's so many things in our lives that we desire in our human, human identity. And the enemy knows exactly what. And so he's putting plates in front of you, whether it's lust, whether it's pride, whether it's doubt, whether it's people pleasing, whatever it may be, he knows what you like. And Renal's desire to be free never won out his desire. His desire to be free never won out his desire to eat. And I would love that the truth of this church and for Christians in this world would be the opposite, that our desire to be free would win out our desire to eat. For us in this place to express Jesus in our lives, we need to walk in the freedom that he had paid for. In verse 13 of this, uh, I think I have it up, don't know, yeah, says this, do not offer any part of your body, part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. The word instrument used there can also be translated to the word weapon. And the reality is, you guys are weapons. I am, I'm going to say as well, right? We are weapons together for the kingdom of God. All of us have the ability, when we are led by him, to be a weapon against the enemy and against the kingdom of darkness. And so the enemy is so desperate to put the things in front of you he knows that you will yield to so that you cannot be used as a weapon for righteousness. But tonight I pray and I hope that we would come back to the truth that freedom is the reality no matter what. We are free. And when we live in the freedom he won for us, then we all will be weapons for righteousness. That is the truth of the gospel, that when we accept it as true, you and I, when you walk into your workplace tomorrow, you're a weapon for righteousness. When you go home tonight to your household that maybe doesn't have followers of Jesus, you're a weapon for righteousness. Whenever you go on social media later on, you're a weapon for righteousness. Whenever you go next week to someone's house for the first time, you're a weapon for righteousness. Whenever you take public transport and you meet someone, you're a weapon for righteousness. Our lives, we are weapons for righteousness. But we have to catch that we have to walk in the freedom instead of the guilt. 
We can't stop eating. We need to stop eating at the table we used to eat at and go to the table that he prepares for us because that is one of freedom that we become weapons for righteousness. My last point this this evening is this, working from home. And I hope that title doesn't bring back many bad memories for some people in the room. Does anyone remember the period of COVID? Couple hands, come on, let's put, everyone put their hand up. Pentecostals, great. Um, working from home. For me, I never had to work from home because I was a student in school, so never had to work from home. But I was out with an incredible man from the church today, and I talked to him on Friday, Dave Matthews, right? What a great guy. And he was telling me his work, his schedule is that he only has to go in one day a month to work. Isn't that unbelievable? Yeah, it's unbelievable. Imagine he having to go in one day a week. He works from home, though. He works from home. But he was telling me this journey up to Belfast is a nightmare whenever the traffic's there. But the fact that he can just wake up, get his morning coffee, and do work is beautiful. So it got me thinking, because I chatted to him on Friday about it. I went home to my sister. Her name's Mia. Uh, talked to Mia for a bit on Saturday. And I said, Mia, what way does work happen for you like I know you work from home some days how does it happen and she said I have to go into work two days a week and I work from home three days a week I said great sounds nice for some people and uh, she said to me I actually am more effective when I'm at home and I said why is that me and she told me I can wake up a wee bit later so I'm more well rested I can get the coffee that I like I can wear more comfortable clothes I don't have to be formal when it's not on a call. I can play the music I like. And so this got me thinking around this idea that her effectiveness comes from home rather than somewhere else. And in this passage, if we go to it again, 1 Peter, if we read verse 25, it should come up. It says this, For you were like sheep gone astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and to the overseer of your souls. And Galatians 5.1 says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened by the, again by the yoke of slavery. See, the reality of our lives and the truth of the gospel is, and I've said this before, and I remember having a conversation, but it's so important that we get this, is we don't work to God anymore. The reality is we don't have to try and do all these things and all these different actions in our life to finally get to God. We work from him. He has secured our freedom. He has secured our lives on the cross. And so we don't need to get to God. We work from God. And so like my sister, when it comes to working from home, her effectiveness is in the security and the comfort of her home. And I believe for us as followers of Jesus, if we can catch that we work from the place of security and comfort in God, it will change our actions. Because in our life, let me tell you some things that we all work for. We work for money because we need to get a new house or renovations or a new car. Some of us like to go on holidays, so we work for money. We work for grades for us young people in school because we need to get to the next stage of our education. We work for promotion because that person above me's job seems way easier than mine, so I need to get there. 
We work for approval. So say if you really want to impress me, my favorite coffee shop's addition. So take for that what you will. Um, but we always are people who work. And work is a good thing. But sometimes we duplicate this process in the wrong way when it comes to God. And we think God is someone we have to reach. I can't sin. I have to try so hard on myself not to sin today. I have to do this. I have to read my Bible often so I can get close to God. I have to pray so often so I can get to God. It's a wrong perspective. We are already there. And so it flips. I don't say I have to read my Bible to get to God. I get to read my Bible because I'm with God. I get to pray because I'm in proximity with the Father. I get to serve him because I'm free and I'm saved. I get to live a life for him because of everything he's done for me. It changes how we live. You don't have to work to God, but rather we work from home. We work from security of freedom. We work from the love of God that thought you were worth it. And so tonight, um, the worship team is going to come up, which is great. But tonight I do believe that there is some people in here who have to come back to the reality of some things. I really do believe that the enemy has been dangling a lot of really tasty food in front of us. The enemy is not, he's not stupid, he's very, very smart. But I believe that the enemy's been dangling a lot of tasty foods in front of some people and we've maybe been feasting at it. And a lot of us don't walk around with our heads high but rather stooped in shame and in guilt. But the reality of repentance and the reality of the cross is that when you give it over to him, you say, God, help me walk in that freedom that you purchased. Then you just walk in it. You don't need to do anything else. You don't need to work to him. You work from God. And I believe there's someone in here tonight. I really do. I don't know everybody in here. But when I was preparing this and when I was praying earlier on upstairs, I really feel like there's someone in here who's maybe been coming to church for a long while. I don't know your story. I don't know who you are. It's nothing specific. But you've been coming to church for a really, really long while. And you've heard this before. But I really, I don't know if it's you and it's fine. But I really just want to say this word. He sees you that we've talked about in the first point. But he's seen you in your life. He sees you, but he's seen you also in everything you've been through. And I believe that tonight there may be a moment of forgiveness and repentance and joy for some people. But what I'd love us to do if we could stand. We're going to go into a song. But I would love if we could close our eyes. Nothing spooky, it's just I want to ask a question. In here tonight, if you do feel like you've been kind of stumbling along the journey of life, you feel like, JT, like, I, I don't really understand it all, or I've heard it all before and I don't get it. But tonight when we were singing that song, Pride of a Father, it's about you. And he sees you. And he's seen you. And tonight you understand that maybe for the first time. And you're alone. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like any more information, have a look at our website at 
www.ballymoneyelam.com.